With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. It's called the what station, by the way. Uh, it, it, if you've been to Bonnaroo many, many times, you probably still don't know what the hell to call those stages because there's this this tent, yeah, there's this, that, that tent, who, what? which stage, what stage, uh, yeah, which stage, what stage. I can't keep them all straight. Welcome oh, to football and other f words. I'm just I'm I'm just moving on. Welcome to football and other f words. The only podcast that is no longer an effective treatment to hepatitis. So wow, that was quick. That was, was one quick. week. The FDA told one us week to, we were okay with hepatitis. They told and us we back were the fuck cure up. and no, we treated it right. No, effectively. Oh, effectively, effectively treated. Okay, we don't cure shit. I'm your host, Mr. Lebowski. I am joined by our producer and co-host, Mr. Zach Lyons. We are missing Michael Herndon tonight. He's a giant pain in the ass. It doesn't matter anyway. Uh, our topics today, for our topics today, we are joined by local Nashville attorney, Amos Maley. Am I saying your last name correctly? That's perfect. Amos Maley. Amos is a graduate of the University of Georgia and a very good friend of the podcast, and he is also a general pain in the ass. Thank you. Amos, how you doing? Thank you. I'm great. I'm general great. pain in me. the ass. And I saluted you. Yes, absolutely. If, if he's lucky, he'll be an admiral pain in the ass by the end of this. So today, we're going to have our usual off-season. Off, usual off-season? Usual off-season. Yeah. Discussion, uh, NFL, Titans topics. But we want to go a little in-depth on some SEC college football topics, namely the recent changes uh, in the SEC and other conferences with their stances as it comes to alcohol sales. Amos is definitely going to help us with that. We also want to discuss the debate around paying college athletes but the first thing i do want to get into carson Wentz. he gets a four-year extension 128 million dollars with 107.9 million guaranteed that is 66 million guaranteed at signing i don't think this comes as a surprise the eagles leadership and head coach doug peterson have been very straightforward in uh believing that carson Wentz is their starting franchise quarterback going forward. I, I'm not going to get into the yearly breakdown of the money because it's the Eagles and who gives a shit. And also you couldn't because it's still not up on spot track yet. Oh, I see. So what I don't want to really talk about Carson Wentz as much as I, I want to talk about what does this mean for Marcus with the uh, potential of, of a contract extension? I'm going to get into the nitty gritty of how his season might go and all that kind of stuff later. Or we're just going on the premise of he's due for a contract extension. How much does Marcus get paid? So, Zach, I'm going to start with you. Carson Wentz gets paid and paid handsomely. How would this affect Marcus? It, it, this is the worst-case scenario for Titans fans. <laughs> I mean, it literally yeah. is. Because, first off, this was a surprise. I mean, he got drafted a year after Marcus. And we still have not hit contract negotiations with Marcus. Say, he, his agent is the same agent as Jared Goff, who's probably now going to see that he got drafted the same year as Carson and okay, now it's time for me to get a contract extension. And he's also the same agent as Marcus's agent. And Cars, now, yeah. So Wentz and Marcus have the same agent. Wentz, Goff, Marcus all have the same agent. All right. Yeah. Can, can we real quick, can we play which of these things is not like the other? 
Yeah, Marcus. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> we've got two Super Bowls and. <laughs> right. Sure. Right. Sure. I mean, we could also go down the road of, I, I Marcus's problems aside, both of those franchises, I don't believe, had the same ineptitude at the front office as the Titans. But it was also, well, well, first off, I disagree with you. I mean, may, okay, maybe not the front office part because Les Snead has turned out to be a pretty good sure, yeah. uh, GM. But I remember Jared Goff did have Jeff Fisher as a coach. But, but it was course corrected pretty quickly. Jeff, Jeff Fisher also kept them around 500. Well, yeah. The Titans uh, were floundering with both broken legs out on the field winning two, three, five games. And And let me say this. Going back to the worst case scenario, because not only is this worst case scenario for that, then you still have the Dak Prescott, you know, contract looming. I I see Dak Prescott's contract being resolved before Marcus's contract being resolved, and there's another quarterback that, while a lot of people hate him, don't know why. I mean, he's literally just a pretty above average quarterback. He's not spectacular, but he's also stuck in a really, really bland offense. But he's never missed a game. He has winning seasons for three all three years he's been in there, and he's taken as many or as more sacks as Marcus has, Marcus has had in the first three years of his career, and he's never missed a game. So, I mean, to me, it, it's a worst-case scenario because you're thinking as a front office of an NFL team that – I'm going to have to pay Marcus if he makes it through all these 16 games and I have to pay him handsomely to have him stick around. Now, Buck Rising on his podcast said Buck and no, is Buck and Austin on A to Z, they said that Mar- uh, the Titans have all the negotiating power because Marcus wants to stay here and he can be he can wallow in and I'm be taking liberties with Wallow in anonymity for the rest of his career like he wants to do. And so they have all the bargaining power because really there's no place better for him than Nashville. To me, I'm thinking, well, that's a load of shit. He's a player and he's a quarterback. And if he has a good year, doesn't matter what the fuck his status is in Nashville, what he's viewed on by the media, he's going to want to get paid because he's a fucking NFL player. I mean, to you, Amos, you're a lawyer. Sure. You sure? Most, I mean, maybe most days. Most days. You're you're a sure. Titans fan. We have been. You have been to almost every home game with me. That's right. And we've gone to, I think, almost all the away games that I've ever been on. I think you've been there. We we have. We've gotten to see some some really impressive fan bases. Yeah. I mean, Buffalo. My God, they have to stop selling alcohol at halftime. Right. Those fans are fully. And invest in what they're doing. Kansas City, same way. Nashville's finally starting to get where there's some real enthusiasm, but we're not seeing publicly an enthusiasm from this quarterback. What what do you what do you think about as, since you're you know in the negotiation process as a lawyer normally? Who do you feel has the 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 leverage, the team or the player? Well, the way the NFL is the way the NFL is structured, I think. Uh, the, the teams have far more leverage in almost every situation. 
the the fact that that you can have a five year contract and you know that that's that's not a fully guaranteed agreement. It's like not like baseball. When you see a hundred million dollar contract, they're going to get a hundred million dollars unless they do something absolutely ridiculous. So I, I think the teams really still have more bargaining power. But when you have a a, a prime position like quarterback, where if if you play and and play well and play as many games during the season as possible. You'd love 16 games plus postseason to come in there. That is a platform for a player to really make their case, not just as as an on-field contributor, but but the, the excitement of, of putting fans in the seats. And that's what the NFL is all about, is, is getting as many people engaged. They need the TV revenue, but they also, we don't want Nashville to be Jacksonville. We don't want to have to tarp the upper deck. And how do you get people excited? Well, a damn good quarterback and an exciting quarterback and one that is engaged with with Nashville and the community, I think it's a really good place to start. And so I wonder, has Marcus fully taken advantage of the position he he has? He's a quarterback uh, of a franchise in a city that is really hot in a lot of different ways. And we know that Marcus is our quarterback, but how many people outside of Nashville really understand that? That's a leverage point that as a player you have that you can take some of that back from the team and use it in your favor. But I'm not sure that Marcus has taken advantage of that in the way that he should. So let's I, – I'll get into this and then I want to move on because I know we've discussed this endlessly on the podcast. But let's say Marcus plays healthy or stays healthy, plays all 16 games but the Titans still end up nine and seven. He doesn't have a stellar season. It just is kind of average. Does it get paid? Here, here's the scenario that I see with, with Marcus and no matter what the scenario is, I think this is the safest way for the franchise to go. And it is to tag him. I know that it will be a lot of money, but it's not as much money as it would be if you were try to sign him to a contract because it's about $24, $25 million, I believe, last time I checked, because you have to base it on a certain amount of the money of the top current quarterbacks being right. paid. Right. And a lot of people want to quote what happened last year at the tag. Well, that's not going to be the same because it's going to be a little bit different because Kirk Cousin inflated those numbers last year. So you have to make sure that you look at what's happening this year to base it off of, not necessarily what happened last year. The tag can go down. Who um, decides the tag price? Is it, that a- it's it's a based off the cash value of the top five contracts, or it's a hundred and ten percent of last year's values. And obviously, that's a league man. Yeah. So so it's about it's about he's getting paid twenty million now, so it's gonna be about twenty four to twenty five. If I'm not mistaken, I think he's getting paid twenty, twenty two. So it would it for a while before uh Wentz and a couple of other contracts uh that were happening over the off season, it was about the same where you have to get paid more. So the franchise tag, you either get paid the hundred ten percent or the top five of the contract the 110% won out and it was about 23 to 24 million. And, uh, Wentz maybe pushes the tag closer to the top five model, but still about that much. That's about what he's worth next year. If he's, I don't care. I don't care what happens. That's what he's worth next year, whether it's 16 games 
and it's an average year, or if it's 14 games and he's ta- and he's tossing 4,000 yards, 30-plus touchdowns, single-digit interceptions, which is where I want to see him in a modern NFL offense, <clears throat> then he's worth about that much. Well, so let me – so the point I want to make with this um, is uh, that I um, – I kind of feel that there's no way that the title, let me back up, not no way, but I think that it's leaning more heavily towards that the Titans are going to end up tagging him because what is the only way that Marcus gets a contract extension at this point? I think he has to have a stellar season and very, very minimal, if any, energy, energies, injuries. So what are the chances that's going to happen? I mean, it could always happen, but we're basically looking at that Marcus is suddenly going to have this fantastic season, keeps the injuries to a minimum. Does the Titans record need to improve at that point? Let's say he has a killer season stat wise, doesn't really get injured, but the Titans miss the playoffs or lose in the first round. And then that- it's it's not Marcus's fault. Okay. Right? I mean, don't you see as that being the foregone conclusion that something catastrophic must have happened on defense? Well, you know, we've got a new coordinator. And so that's always a place to, uh, to to sort of disguise some problems that maybe exist or don't exist. Um, but I, I think we're going to have to see more consistency out of Marcus. We're going to have to see uh, more more games played and, and a regular positive, um, at the very least a building block to say, yes, this is what we want to stack our, our, our offensive hopes on going forward. Right. So I I don't really want to take it much further than that only because I think, you know, we've kind of we've we've kind of beat this to death a little let, bit. Let me do ask this sure. because the the big thing that I hear from various um Marcus supporters is that when he's healthy, he's always on. But I after talking and kind of reviewing some tape, I don't know if that's the case. So I don't think it's just a case of the injuries. There's going to have to be, okay, if you're healthy, you're going to have to meet, uh, to me, past 2016 expectations. You know, the 2016 season, I mean, he had 20-plus touchdowns, single-digit interceptions, and he he's, was like 33 or 3,200 yards. You know, what do you guys think that you had to see out of Marcus you know, from a non-analyst standpoint, from a fan standpoint, what do you guys think that you have to see? It has to be, it has to be at least 2016 and better. It, it's, look, you can go down the road of how the weapons play out that he's been provided. He's been at least on paper given better line protection. Um, I believe we have a proven running back, even though a lot of people will say that Derrick Henry still needs to see more time before we say that. I, I think that the wide receiver set and the line that he's been provided is 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 absolutely there on paper for him to be able to produce. So if he doesn't produce this year and it's not better than 2016, I, there's no reason to pay the man. Uh, he's been surrounded by weapons in the last two or three years, or, or there's been a dedicated effort by the team to put the pieces in place around Marcus to – to give him the best chance possible to be successful. At a certain point, you have to to step back and say, okay, look, you you haven't done anything to embarrass the franchise in a, a from a PR standpoint. 
And and as far as the NFL is concerned, that is a component. That's something that has to be considered. Is it a, a quarterback that's going to show up to work every day and put in his absolute best effort, and when he's healthy, he's going to do a great job, and he doesn't embarrass the team? That that is the that's the modern NFL. That that's got to be a consideration of it. But but at the end of the day, if you want fans to show up, you're going to have to win some football games, and you're going to have to do some things above just uh you know an, an eight and eight kind of kind of record well so let's let's pivot a little bit i do want to stay on the topic of marcus but going into otas uh the hot topic over the last 48 hours is marcus and his damn scrambled eggs now i'm not going to go into the minutia and the discussion of should paul or anybody else have asked the question is it fair to ask questions about his damn eggs i don't necessarily care about that but what i do want to talk about is do you care about the quarterback or anybody else on the team's diet i i i'll say this I don't care about anybody's diet, but I do care because on Marcus's part, because it humanizes them. And no, and that's fair enough. And I shouldn't discount it by saying I don't care. I don't want to discuss whether or not you should ask the question. I do like the fact that he was right. humanized. So, I mean, definitely keep. Going. I mean, I, th- I think that's. I think that's that coincides with each other. Like, do I really care if Kevin Pampfile's eating only a kale only diet? No, I mean it'd be maybe a funny like excerpt or a funny um little little tidbit or something but not necessarily but for marcus this is probably the most that they've ever gotten marcus to open up i mean he was generally laughing and smiling at a podium when normally he's just saying um um right um and he's talking about the sex i i I don't know i mean Apparently, eating three or more eggs is not good for you, and that's not the normal. And here I am. Did I you, eat three eggs minimum. This? I eat three eggs minimum. Minimum. I, I try every to day. Keep, I try to keep well, it at no, two eggs. I mean, whenever I eat eggs. I mean, I went to Frothy Monkey after a night of debauchery, and I ate <laughs> at least 12 eggs that morning. That doesn't sound healthy. Well, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I'm still here, <laughs> so it must have been healthy. But, Am- uh, Amos, do you give a shit about the uh, quarterback's diet? I could not care less about the quarterback's diet. Oh, I do care about whether they can sustain uh, 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 their play through a full season. Sure. And if eating six eggs instead of three eggs gives him the, the extra protein, the strength, the body mass to absorb those blows that you're going to, you know, you're facing defensive linemen that can run just as fast as the quarterback. Well, there you go. So Marcus apparently put on what, like 13 pounds in the offseason yeah, or whatever it is. 15. So. Obviously, I mean, it, it kind of matters to you that if the player has a little bit more body mass, therefore, do you care about the diet that got him there or do you just care that he's got a more mass? My wife doesn't care how many nights I eat pizza at 3 a.m., but she does care when uh, my pants don't button anymore. You know, it doesn't matter how you get there. It's the end result that actually gets scrutinized. And I think it's the same thing that we're dealing with here uh, with Marcus. I, I don't care how he gets there. If it's protein shakes, if it's if it's eating a dozen eggs every morning, it doesn't matter. But if it's what he needs to do to prepare himself and to be in the best possible shape to be successful for, for our hometown team, let, let's do it. I agree. And I, I like I do like what Zach was saying about that. This is the most human we've seen him in a while. And so therefore, like, I agree with what you're saying, Amos. And I don't really give a shit what the players are eating. Like, it actually kind of drives me nuts. Who's the who the uh, vegans or vegetarians on our team? 
Oh, Jarrell Casey is one. Yeah, is it, is it Jarrell Casey's wife that makes this whole diet? I think it may have been Derek Morgan's wife. I think Derek Morgan think may be right. converted or something. Well, so, okay, I mean, going down that part. She's a bitch. <laughs> all right, there it is. But so anyways, I it, it does kind of drive me nuts that people get all ear. I mean, if one of them gets injured or has a bad game, it always comes up in social media. Well, if they weren't damn vegans or vegetarians, I don't give a shit. Um, but I do like that it, it 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 humanized Marcus. I mean, here's the thing: is that we we spend all this time wondering, wishing that Marcus would say something. And this, I know it's a stupid question. It's about eggs, or I I don't even. I was kind of half listening to to it yesterday, and then I heard that Chad and Jonathan were just like going off on eggs and yeah. The and midday one eighty crew went really had a good yeah. time with Paul this morning. About it. was they, it was it Paul that asked a question? Yeah, it okay. actually was, uh, which is surprising. But he also asked really hard questions that people that I know who do just do not like Paul went said that that's too hard. That's too hard because he asked Marcus. Marcus had a bad day yesterday, and he goes, uh, "How much of that was on you?" And how much of that was on the defense? That's a legit question you should ask as a reporter, in my opinion. The egg question, okay, it's it's not that interesting. But I, I will say that it did spark a really good conversation about who likes eggs, how do you prepare eggs, how many eggs do you eat for breakfast, and and all this stuff. And it, it was really an excellent conversation on Twitter wow. talking about all the eggs. Well, wow. I, I'm going to move on from the egg thing because I don't want us to have to sit here and scramble for more uh, answers, but uh, the next part about OT, that's right. These puns are way too <laughs> Listen, easy. Yeah, if Amos, if you don't know how we roll with uh, with puns is that once you get us started, I will not stop. I absolutely will not stop. Great. So, Great. Um, Marcus apparently didn't look so hot. Uh, what was it, yesterday? OTAs? Yeah. It, was, it was Tuesday. Tuesday, the whole offense, the the whole offense apparently didn't look good to the point where uh, Vrabel made them run sprints <laughs> after practice. So real quick, going around the table, Amos, does it matter to you that Marcus had a bad day in practice in OTAs where he's overthrowing and underthrowing receivers? It matters if it's the same mistakes that he's made prior to this training camp, these OTAs. If he's making the exact same mistakes that he was making before and he's making them for the same reasons that are correctable, then I have a problem with that. Sure. That's that's not advancing as a professional. No matter what you're uh, – w- whether you're a doctor or lawyer, football player, uh, it, it doesn't matter. If you, if you keep making the same mistakes and you're not making any effort to correct that, then I have a problem with it. If somebody has a bad day in OTAs – I mean, did you see the, the list of people that weren't participating in OTAs. Yes. I mean, it's like half the starting lineup. So there's going to be a lot of back and forth and, and trade off and, and things with that. So no, it, it, that, that doesn't concern me unless it's how those mistakes are being I agree. made. I agree. Zach. Sorry, I had a burp. Uh, <laughs> I, I agree as well, because to me, t- uh, Marcus's mistakes don't really matter because Tannehill made the same mistakes. Now for my own sanity, it doesn't matter. Because if Tannehill, you know, had hadn't made any mistakes, it still really wouldn't matter in the big scheme of things because it is June. But it would have mattered on Twitter because everybody's saying Tannehill should should start, blah blah blah. So it's really just a my own kind of sanity kind of thing. the The big thing I will say this is that I've heard I I'm a big proponent. Let's get the mistakes out of the way. If they, if there are mistakes now, let's get them out of the way. 
And just because you're mistake free in OTAs doesn't mean that you're going to be mistake free in a game. It, it, there really is no correlation because if you remember, Marcus was interception free in all 2015, and then his first preseason game threw an interception, lost a fumble. I mean, it there there's really not a correlation because it's shortened pants and shortened shirts and all this shit. It, when you're in the game, some people just have an in-game mentality. Some people just don't practice well. I do not. I don't. Me personally, I can't take a standardized test to save my life that naturally f- reflects what I have going on in my head. But I can go solve anything in the spur of the moment, and I am really good at you know trivia at a bar. So there's no there. Sometimes practice and and the game. There's no correlation. So I really don't have, I really don't think it's a big deal. Now, if it continues and it's a huge trend that we're seeing that this, that Marcus is just making mistake after mistake after mistake after mistake every day, and it's not just him testing throws and testing windows like Aaron Rodgers does, then yeah, I'll get concerned. I'm not going to be, he's already bounced back today. I'm not going to be concerned about yesterday. I wasn't too concerned anyway, but you know, you, you have, like Amos said, you have to see the progress. All right. We're going to take a quick break. I want to pivot to a couple of college football t- uh, topics after this. So um, give us just a couple of minutes. We'll be right back. All right. We're back. I can't believe that last ad break was just two minutes of dogs barking. It's really weird. We're going to get this shit under control. So what I want to move to now is there's been some significant movement this offseason in college football on in the SEC in particular um, on allowing alcohol sales in stadiums. And this is one of the reasons why we want to have you in Amos, because we want to talk a little bit behind a little bit behind the legality of it, but also kind of the the pros and cons of it. And I've got kind of a list of some of the stuff I want to go through with you. But in general, um, one of the first big dominoes to fall was the University of Georgia, correct? Well, it, Georgia has uh, has been sort of on the same page as Alabama and Auburn and Mississippi State in, in saying that we're going to take a look at this because the SEC did change their rules and, and lift this ban on alcohol um, offered to the general public within ball games, and 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 everybody in the SEC celebrated, or most people in the SEC celebrated. But what they did was they, uh, it's sort of like changing some of the federal laws where they say we're we're going to make this federally legal, but it's going to be up to the states sure. as to whether they they push that through. And the same approach was taken here with the SEC schools. You're gonna you're gonna make a determination school by school how you're going to apply this and how you're going to relax or change your rules to allow alcohol sold to the general population so let me let me back up a little bit currently in uh 50 ncaa fbs schools allow it i'm not going to go through the whole list in the state of tennessee that is mtsu and memphis i was a little surprised when i read that list i thought there was another one but there is not um some of the notable programs that allow out right now minnesota texas oklahoma state miami ohio state wake forest ohio state netted 1.2 million dollars last year in beer sales which was up i believe six or seven percent from the year before and they had a pretty significant drop in arrests outside the stadium for various different drinking violations. 
However, they had a big uptick of arrests inside the stadium, but they said that 90% of those arrests revolved around underage people trying to buy beer. So I feel like that's a bit of a bullshit stat because that's going to be an easy arrest to make because the arrests that were being named outside the stadium were for things like fighting DUI all kinds I mean so I I I feel like the offenses that were outside the stadium were much more severe than just a 19 year old kid trying to get by with a fake ID but the question I want to ask is this I feel like programs like Texas Miami and Ohio State showing profit and showing that it can be sold without an uptick and like some serious sinful shit going on inside the stadium. Sure. Do you think that was a big decision in the SEC saying, yeah, let's lift it and let the individual schools decide what they want to do? I think the fact that I have a 60-inch TV at my house with great speakers and alcohol I've already paid for, <laughs> and I think that's got to play into it because when you start seeing declining attendance numbers, you, as a school, you have to think, how do we get people back in the stadium? Is alcohol one of those things? Well, maybe. Uh, I, like you mentioned earlier, I went to University of Georgia. I, game day in Athens, Georgia, to me, is one of the coolest things, and everybody should get a chance to experience that. The tailgating, the tradition, all of that is great. But you knew going in, uh, with a, the exception of a small segment of people, that you unless you wanted to be sober at the end of a three-hour game, you had to front load a little bit. Sure. Or you had to find a way to make sure that you were never without alcohol during that game. So I think when you see people that do it successfully and and they're turning a profit, that's great. And you mentioned earlier that there was an uptick in the in-stadium arrest. To me, that doesn't say the system is broken. That says the system is working. Right. You right. you have stopped people who were trying to to do something that was illegal. And, and I think that means that everybody's doing their job. So I'm not bothered by those increases and in, in arrests and citations inside the stadium in those situations. I agree. So, and, and this is the point I want to make. It's a little convoluted. So stay with me. I feel like that those arrests can, and I'm going to go kind of a down a long path with this is that the kid who's trying to use a fake ID or just flat out get away with buying beer and then gets popped for that more than likely is the kid that did not smuggle a flask or something inside the game because they either got away with it before with being able to buy beer inside or a buddy got him a beer or something. Do you kind of see where I'm going with that? Like, I think that that reduces students trying to sneak alcohol inside the stadium where they feel like that they can get it inside the stadium which is going to cut down a little bit, I think, on binge drinking. I don't think you're going to cut down much on that, and I'll get into that in a second. But let me give an example. Um, I'm a pretty big Ole Miss fan. My brother went to Ole Miss. I just kind of got sucked in along with him. The first time I went to the Grove, I never wanted to leave. So going down there as kind of like seeing it from a student's eyes, obviously I loved it. It's everything you would want in a tailgating situation. Now I go down there a decade later as an adult with a career and responsibilities I am not interested in trying to sneak a flask of something in the stadium. It is not worth it to me to, like you said, front load at a tailgate, go to the game and just enjoy myself, lose my buzz, quote unquote, and then leave the game and either, you know, keep drinking in the Grove or go out to a bar after that. I'm not as predisposed to I've got to be able to consume alcohol during the game as much as I was when I was still in the student mentality. I mean, would you agree with that? Yeah, I think that's a that's a huge component of uh, uh, as you continue as a sports fan, as, as a fan of your team, whatever that is. And by the way, ball games in Oxford and the Grove are fantastic. Yes, they are. I, they are fantastic. It, it is it is such a cool thing. I've been for a few Georgia uh, Ole Miss games, and you've got two fan bases that take a lot of pride 
and uh, and tailgate and the way they put everything together. So right. I think it's awesome. But uh, but you make a great point there about the you, you reach a certain point and and you have to wonder is it worth it? Is this does it sure. matter as much to me anymore? And so my question for you is. Uh, how many of those people that have been taking a flask in, that have been working um, to to find a way to keep the alcohol in their possession throughout a college game when they when they couldn't buy it, how many are going to stop doing that and start buying a beer from the school? I, I think as many as possible. I don't. I'm sitting here trying to think, kind of around what age you hit legal drinking or what age. What I, most of them would be seniors, correct? That are going to hit that 21. I, yeah, pretty close. Well, I mean, you're typically, if you go right from high school to college, somewhere at the end of your junior year, senior year, you're going to be 21 years old. So I think you're still looking or at 24 or 24 or me. I'm still a senior. I'm kidding. But, um, but, <laughs> but in all seriousness, I still think that it's a smaller segment that is really worried about what you and I are, are going into. I think it more feeds into the point that you made kind of starting out this whole discussion is as an alum or someone like myself who is not an alum of Ole Miss but enjoys going to games down there whenever I can, I'm really not interested in trying to get as drunk or buzzed as possible at the beginning to go into the game to sustain it because the stadium doesn't sell alcohol, whereas I would be more interested to go to games more frequently. Let me give a better example. I would be more interested in saying going to Vanderbilt games around here to see other SEC teams if I knew I could just show up to the stadium, buy alcohol while I'm in the stadium, enjoy myself, and then leave. As right now, I'm thinking I, I, I would go to a yeah, Vandy game. Right? I don't. Oh my yeah. god, that's a really good point. I think yeah. I would go to a Vandy game now. I mean, like, okay, if you're going to Georgia, or if I'm going to Ole Miss, or if you're going to Alabama, Zach, for the weekend. It's you're already turning like at least a full day or possibly a, a short weekend into it. So, <clears throat> excuse me, consuming alcohol and and how you're going to be able to consume as much as you want before you go in and all that may not be the end all be all like you were saying. But I mean, how many local college games would you go to here if you knew you'd have to tailgate? I could give a shit about tailgating at Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt has a terrible setup for tailgating. It's all one huge parking lot. It's not necessarily their fault, but it's just not a big tailgating venue. So I don't have any interest in going out there and sitting with, first off, well, you got to convince a couple of buddies to go out there because what weird ass is just going to show up to a random tailgate at a college football game? I know people do it, but the whistler, but where I'm going with this is exactly what I just said. You would be more apt to show up to a random college game in your hometown if you could just buy a couple of beers in the stadium and not have to worry about tailgating. Well, and speaking of that, Amos, Van- Vandy hosts Georgia in the opening. First game of the uh, season. First game of the season. So you you are involved in the Georgia um, Alumni Association here in Nashville and all that kind of stuff. Right. The how much does this change if Vanderbilt can do alcohol sales inside? Is is that a game changer for you as an alumni who was going to come see his team? I would assume probably anyway before this law got passed. I was going to be at that game regardless. Yeah, but I I can say with a great degree of certainty that there are people that would that would be attending that Georgia Vandy game that would be uh, part of some of the same tailgates that I would that are, are probably going to moderate how they behave leading up to the game if they know that that the last drink they're going to have isn't the one at the tailgate 
that they're going to be able to get that next one. It's not that kind of sounds lo- like they're a bunch of wusses, though. I mean, shouldn't you just go hard all day long? Well, I mean, sure. And you know what? <laughs> there are people that aren't excited about this rule change. They're not because they've spent their entire life going to a, an Alabama, Georgia, an Ole Miss, an SEC football game for their school, and they have their system whether it's airplane bottles in their boot or Ziploc bags of bourbon in their waistline, they uh, around their belt, they they've they've got their way of maintaining this this alcohol, the party, the tailgate, whatever that is that they've done, they've been able to do that for their entire life and it's never been a problem. No matter what security changes have been implemented by the schools and there have been some in the last few years, but those folks uh, have been able to do that, I think in large part because the school did not have a vested interest in stopping that adult who behaved responsibly from getting alcohol into yeah. the stadium. But now they have a direct financial interest in stopping. That. Well, and I think I think to an extent you're always going to have that problem no matter what the venue is. I, it You have to look for it, but I think you could go to any bar downtown Nashville this weekend and probably see somebody on the dance floor sneaking a swig out of a flask. Uh, Dude, I will smuggle airplane bottles of whiskey onto an airplane because I just don't want to pay $11 for a crappy tiny bottle of Jack Daniels. But I'll say this. I, I, this is coming. Okay. So you made the example of as a Georgia fan. Yeah. I'm probably going to be at that game anyway, if it's here at Vandy as an Alabama fan. I I think I'm going to go to that game. You're going to, I mean, I'm at least going to go tailgate with Amos. You should do that. It's going to be fun. As an Alabama fan, regardless of alcohol sales inside the stadium or not, are you just going to go watch Alabama play at Vanderbilt? Oh, I mean, if it's Alabama playing, yeah. But I mean, I'm, I'm actually more apt to, here's the thing. Is Vanderbilt really in the SEC? Like that's been the big discussion because of Vanderbilt World Series. Can can other SEC fans enjoy Vanderbilt being in the World Series, right? When that question was posed on midday one eighty by Chad and Jonathan yesterday on uh Tuesday show, I'm thinking, well, why why couldn't an SEC fan enjoy it? Because I mean, it's it's Vandy. Like I know they're in the SEC. Are they in the SEC? Like they're in the SEC. I mean, do you? Okay, I'm an Alabama fan. Do you, in any sport, view Vandy as some big rival that you have to hate them and can't enjoy on their success? No, God no. No, that's that's never been relevant. But none of us at this table. No, none of us at this table are Tennessee fans. And I say that seriously. <laughs> okay, no, that, I say, no, that's true. I say I that seriously. True. Is it a three-year losing streak? It's a three-year losing streak. But if you look at like, and I I don't have the numbers in front of me, and I'm not going to look it up. But if you look at like the last ten or twelve years, Vandy is like five and seven or seven and five or some kind of crazy shit to where it's a lot. It, it's almost even. So. Whether Tennessee fans want to admit it or not, Vanderbilt's a little bit of a rival right now. Is it a sustainable sustainable rivalry? No, it's not. But for right now, they are. I mean, that's a little different. So, I, w- I w- to more to the point, I would go to almost... I'm thinking about going to the Vandy game, any Vandy baseball games that are left. And I will definitely go to a Vandy football game, even if it's not Alabama, and just... Enjoy watching college football. Is this under and drink the, beer? Okay, so, but this is the question I'm asking. Right now, alcohol is not sold in Vanderbilt Stadium. That's Let's, not true. That's not true. Alcohol has been sold in every SEC stadium for years. If you had enough money. Oh well, you're talking about boxes. 
I'm talking about boxes, but what Georgia did, what they, they said, we're not going to sell alcohol in a general admission space, but if you've contributed $100,000, we will allow you to buy alcohol at a game. But that's, an, but that's an outlier. Here's the, here's the point I'm trying to make is right now, if Alabama were to play Vanderbilt at home next year with the current alcohol sales rules of Andy not selling beer at a concession stand, are you going to go watch Vanderbilt beat the absolute shit or watch Alabama beat the absolute shit out of Vanderbilt because it's your home team here in Nashville? Not without alcohol. Okay. No. that's the, Here's the point I'm trying to make. Ole Miss is not a very good team. Ole Miss is a, is a very much a program like Vanderbilt where I do not expect them to win anything. As a matter of fact, when they start to do well, I'm always waiting for the other shoe to drop, and I'm not surprised when it happens. When they lose, people try to talk shit to me, and it doesn't really bother me because I flat out don't care if they win or lose. So the point I'm trying to make is this. If Ole Miss is going to play at home against Vanderbilt next year, I could absolutely give a shit about going to that game. I just want to watch it on TV because even though I am starting to become more of a diehard Ole Miss fan, I just don't want to go show up and watch my team play a piddly ass game against Vanderbilt. Now, you add alcohol to that mix. If I can just Uber down to the stadium and crush a few beers in the stadium and watch Ole Miss play, absolutely. And how much are tickets in. like have to be like that's $50? What I mean. That's that's the point I'm and trying to You can to- probably move down at any point cuz Vanderbilt fan- Vanderbilt fans are pretty shitty. That's the point I'm trying to make here is that outside of an alumni fan where if you're a Georgia fan and you're living in Nashville and Georgia comes to your home city to play even admittedly a terrible Vanderbilt team, you're more likely to go than the average fan because they're in your home stadium. But I think if you want to start attracting, and this is more towards Vanderbilt because they can't attract their own fans to come show up. No, Georgia played Vanderbilt every year until this year. When they were in in Nashville, it was Vanderbilt's homecoming and the stadium would be right. 75%. Minimum 75% Georgia fans. So outside of those massive fan bases like Georgia, Florida, Tennessee, where people are always going to, for the most part, fill that stadium up because a lot of those fan bases, that's what they do. It's I think this is more enticing to groups like Vanderbilt to advertise it and advertise it wildly that, hey, we sell alcohol in our stadium. If and you're, you're in Nashville. And you're in Nashville. If you're a college football fan, you're an SEC, whatever, just come buy a cheap ticket have a couple of beers, you don't even have to worry about tailgating. You can just show up and have a good time. It's worked for Memphis. I mean, it happened the year after I graduated Memphis. They started <laughs> allowing alcohol sales. Naturally. Saved your life, didn't yeah, it? Yeah, it probably did because I can remember being carried out of a homecoming game by the AD Pies. Um, for and, different reasons. Well, you no, know, it was for being too drunk at a game and they had to carry me <laughs> for out. A di- for a different reason. Yeah. Get him. That's one. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so <laughs> take him on like a toy, but it I mean, it's, they flyable now Memphis being one of the early adopters of this has turned a, they have this thing called tiger lane that they've really done up. Well, they've really upped their tailgating game. And on the inside, I got to go, I've been to one game, uh, since they have adopted it. And it was an old miss game, uh, two or three years ago and tickets were not cheap. So that's a good thing for for you know the home team or for ticket sales or for revenue, and then going up. I mean, it was a pretty good uh, bar scene up there. I mean, it, good bartenders and stuff. I mean, it was a it was a really cool experience to be able to say, I've been to this college stadium, I've been to these games, and now we have a bar up here. That's pretty awesome. So let me ask you this, Amos. Um, going back to a comment you made 
just a minute ago about, yeah, there's been a way for you to drink in SEC stadiums for a while if you were a big time donor. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, and I don't know if you know this or not, when when Georgia announced here just a couple of weeks ago or last week that they were going to allow alcohol sales in the stadium, it had some kind of stipulation on it, didn't it? Like if you, you had to donate like $2,500 or $12,000 or something, there was not just, there was a barrier to entry. Absolutely. There was a barrier to entry. And so the Dan McGill Society, who's a legendary uh, tennis coach at Georgia, Hall of Fame kind of uh, guy and, and and really Dan McGill was uh, a, a wonderful citizen of the Athens community and for the university. So I, I appreciate that they named the, the, this high donor uh, area after him. But a hundred thousand uh, dollars is the threshold that University of Georgia said as far as lifetime contributions of a hundred thousand dollars. And then we we I, I don't know. Does that mean that now we deem you responsible enough to consume alcohol in a public place? I mean, that's that's the problem that I have. <laughs> sure. As a graduate of the university, uh, wh- why'd you let me in? Why'd you let me out with yeah. a degree if you didn't think I was worthy of going out into the world and representing the university and putting that name forward? Well, why why wasn't that enough? But how did, okay, so walk me through this. Whatever the money barrier is, where do you get it? Do you have like a private concession stand? Like, how does this work? So uh, as I understand it, there was going to be a separate area set up away from the field. So no sight line to the field. You were you would be allowed if, if you met these certain criteria to buy a drink and consume it only in that area. And they were considering putting televisions. This sounds like a speakeasy. It this does. Sounds idiotic. It does. You have to have the password. What's the password? Kirby. Flapjacks. So... I, but this sounds very idiot. Okay, just in your opinion, what what do you think the point behind this is? Uh, allowing the, the alcohol or restricting it in, in that way, for, at least at the outset, I think it's a couple of things. One, um, you've been encouraging people to donate extra money for years because there were perks. You got sure. to park closer. You got a better seat. You had access to alcohol. That's always been a big selling point in those kind of seats. But I think there's some practical things too. When was the last time you went to an SEC game? It's been um, a, it's been a year. How how are the lines to buy a hot dog and popcorn? Uh, well, at Ole Miss it wasn't too bad, but they were. I mean, they were long, especially hell, if you hell, went at Memphis the, was pretty bad. Yeah, you you go at the. I, I'll yeah to answer your question truthfully, they suck. I mean, okay, yeah. all right. So think about. About the beer lines, most of those oh, yeah. concession stands are stocked by uh, by volunteers. They're staffed by volunteers, which is great. It's a wonderful opportunity for that that local football program or high school band to earn some extra money by working those concession stands. But uh, are we going to run everybody through uh, through training programs to check IDs and recognize that well, you're going to have to add staff? Is that they had bar areas? They literally had bartenders in uniform and you couldn't buy food in the bar area designated to buy the alcohol and stuff. So it was like a literal, it was like walking up to a mini sports bar and ordering, ordering a drink. So you, what you were saying about, um, you know, obviously the, the lines and the more into this is where I think one of the downsides is for smaller programs. I think every single sec school, it's a no brainer. That he's going to not only generate extra funds for the school, but you're going to provide something inside the stadium that 
look, we'll talk about the students separately. It's the last thing I want to get to before we move on to this topic. But your alum, the people that are going to show up to this these you know games year after year after year, you're rewarding them for being in the stadium, be able to buy something that they can buy at most every other sporting event that they go to right now. But the I think the downside to smaller schools is this, and I'll use MTSU as an example, but I couldn't find numbers for them on how they did on beer sales because they did beer sales this year. Um, you got to pay security. Or like you were saying, you got to train people to be able to check IDs. Right. Does that change your staffing levels? I'm assuming it's going to. And also this, you've got to pay the distributors of this, of the alcohol. So I think it ends up looking like not such a sexy proposal to smaller schools like in the Sun Belt, like in the CUSA and things like that. I, I think you're going to see more of the Power 5 programs adopt it universally probably in the next couple of years, and it's just going to become commonplace. And then the smaller programs are actually going to fall more in line because it's not exactly the sexiest proposal. I mean, <laughs> MTSU's crowds are pretty bad, but even like you, the joke you were making about, you know, Zach is, is Vanderbilt in the SEC. Vanderbilt's got some serious attendance problems. Can you imagine having to pay the level of vendors and things like that that you're going to have to pay to have alcohol in an SEC school with that kind of shit ass attendance? You almost yeah. have to have the alcohol sales to pay. Yeah. That's what I know I exactly. Mean, it's, like, it's like a it's like a symbiotic relationship. <laughs> it absolutely is. So the last thing I want to get to with this is one of the concerns that is brought up, or I guess a list of concerns that's brought up with this revolves around does this increase levels of binge drinking alcohol abuse assault death from alcohol related injury that kind of stuff do you think being able to drink inside the stadium that is provided by the school does this a actually make the numbers rise for those does is it does it bring a level of concern to you and b is there does it open the school up to more avenues of lack of a better word, litigation towards them because they're the ones providing alcohol inside the event. And I, I could understand there being some concerns about uh, the liability, but I think this is actually going to bring down the problems with binge drinking. People are still going to drink before the game like they've always done. Yeah. I mean, w- when you were a student, how many $8 beers did you buy? Right. No, I mean, it's true. Yeah, it's it's to go get the most amount of beer possible before the game, because okay, let me give an example. I mean, this is really for the adults. Well, but it's got to be for the adults because I don't think you can. I don't think you can look at it and say this is going to be a huge cash grab for the schools. The one point two million dollars that you quoted as a Ohio State number. At first, I was like, man, that seems really low. But when you think about it, we go to the Titans game and it's it's eight to ten dollars a beer. All right, well, that that is already going to limit my consumption. And if I'm a, a 21-year-old college student, God, I could barely buy a $2 beer then. Yeah, my whole, my whole mindset for the first several years of being a Titans fan was to tailgate as hard as possible at the beginning because I'm broke as shit. Someone gave me the ticket to go in. Right. <laughs> I'm not going to go in there and drop you know, $24, $32 on a few beers when I can stay out here and crush a case of beer for the same price. And, and let's be honest. For I the mean, children listening, I was not drinking a case of beer beforehand. <laughs> no. And let's you be share. honest. The attendance is, the attendance issues are not because of the students. Students are going to go to the game. Right, right, because, right. Because, right. I mean, your student section is always filled up, right? Right, right. It's the rest of, the, rest of them. So students are there regardless. So you're targeting with these alcohol sales, you're targeting the 
alumni, the casual fan, the local. Because, like you said, I mean, to me, if Vanderbilt was selling alcohol, hell, I'd go to a Vanderbilt game. I would go to several. Yeah. One or two. I'd, I'd yeah. go to one or two. I mean, that's just, you know, it's it's not necessarily preventing me from going. Like, work has prevented me more than anything from going to a Vanderbilt game here and there. Because, sure. I mean, I, I live, we broadcast very close to Vanderbilt Stadium. With insight, you can see the stadium from exactly. your Exactly. I can hear it. I can see it. So, I could easily go. But now I'm thinking, okay, well, I mean... You know, I I know I probably wouldn't get to see this game or this game if I went during when Vanderbilt played. But yeah. Hell, I mean, it's right there. It's, well, a, it's a football game live. It's an experience that, you know, you get to have. So that's who they're targeting. They're not targeting the students. Your students' drinking habits are not going to change because of this. No. I mean, it's really not, in my opinion. All right, so let me make this point. I've lived uh, in downtown Nashville for 11 years, and during the fall – you always knew when Vandy had a, a home game because you'd start seeing a bunch of people wearing Mississippi State gear <laughs> yeah. or Alabama gear yeah. or yeah, Florida, yeah. Georgia, or whatever that was. It's almost just, like when you knew Titans had a home game. Right. It was just this huge <laughs> influx because Nashville's a great place to visit. Right. It it is it's got something that most people don't get to experience true bar hopping where if you walk into a place and you don't like the looks of the joint, you know, if you're back home, you may not be able to walk next door and get a completely different scene. You can get that in Nashville. And so it's become a destination for pro and college sports fans. Yep. And I've talked, I, I just, you know, I, my mom would say, I, 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 I would talk to a fence post. It doesn't matter, but I want to talk to hey, people you. to understand why you're here and why have you come to Nashville? What's drawn you here? And one of the things that I hear is, man, Nashville is so much fun. And those same people I would see not at the stadium during the ball game. And I'd ask, what, what what's going on? Well, we've been having a great time and the party can't stop. Yeah. So if alcohol is sold in the stadium, is that that extra thing to push those people over the edge to get them to go to the game, to sit in the seat, to buy a popcorn, hot dog to drive that those other revenue sources than just ticket sales. And I think it's at least worth investigating because if Ohio state and big 10 fans can, can, can handle themselves well enough to, uh, to buy a drink in the stadium, I, I think we got to give the sec fans a shot too. Well, so I'll make this last point that we're going to take a break. Um, I'm, I, I am almost to the point where I loathe baseball. I can't stand it. I don't understand why a sport won't play in the rain. We can discuss that another day, but at the same time, like I really want to go to a Nashville sounds game this year. Nash, the sounds are our local triple uh, a baseball team. I want to go to a Nashville sounds game for simply this reason. They sell beer and it looks like a cool place to socialize. I could give a shit what happens on the field. I don't care if they win, lose the place burns to the ground. I want to go have a couple of beers and hang out with a couple of buddies. And I would treat Vanderbilt stadium that way if they sold alcohol. And I just, I think that's all there is to it. Um, all right. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about college athletes and should they get paid? What a fun ad read. That was just two minutes of barking again. We're going to have to talk and figure out what's going on there. So the last part of this segment in college football that I want to go into, not to get too heavy, but paying athletes, something that's been tossed around since I was a kid watching college football, but it seems to be starting to somewhat come to a head. Um, it, it, it revolves around so many different multiple segments around the NCAA football game has stopped being released because um, 
you know, they don't want to get into any kind of backwards legalities with what happened the last time they had the game out and paying for likenesses and that kind of thing. So the the first question I did want to ask, let's say tomorrow that the NCAA decides that they're going to start compensating athletes somehow. Does this somehow open up colleges to some kind of workplace laws, unemployment, health insurance? And I'm completely talking out of my ass here because I am certainly not an expert on this, but it just, it came across my head while I was making notes for this podcast of if you're suddenly going to be paying an athlete to play, does that make them an employee? And and you probably have a disclaimer before you get into this, right, Amos? That's right. Okay. So yes, I am a lawyer. I am not a labor and employment lawyer. I do not represent athletes in in this realm, but I'll say my brother did play uh, college baseball, so I have a little bit little bit of experience with this. Baseball is different than football in that there there are a much smaller number of scholarships that are issued, and there are significant restrictions on college athletes being able to work an outside job. So you are restricting the amount of money that they can receive on their own by going out and working. Uh, and and then you're not providing those those students those student athletes as the NCAA likes to remind us we should call them student athletes and they are but you're not providing them with enough money to live and survive and to do the things that they need to do and I think as we see you know right now we're in the middle of summer workouts every let's just we've been talking SEC stuff so let's talk about SEC. Georgia and Alabama and 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 LSU and some of these other heavyweight schools, that the voluntary summer workouts, they call them voluntary, but how far up the depth chart are you going to work if you don't show up for those? So you're not out working a job. You can't wait tables or 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 work at a, a car dealership or do any of those sorts of things. Well, I mean, car dealerships have always been a favorite job <laughs> for Alabama, Auburn, uh, wherever the bag men live. Uh, so there are some real issues there about how much can that athlete earn and when does it become a responsibility of the school, uh, for scholarship athletes in particular to make up any of those shortfalls. So does, I mean, do, could you see this opening them up to some sort of problem of the student actually being an employee? Well, Scholarship athletes, uh, we all talk about roster management and and how you you uh, determine how many uh, new high school students can those colleges bring in each year, and and there's all this concern about you know uh, medical disqualifications and things. But the the reality is, every one of those students is on a one year contract. So if we start paying uh, players and treating them as employees that can be hired and fired as needed, does it become purely a mercenary scenario where you're just you're bringing in people every year to do a very specific job and if they don't do it well enough then you can fire them and run them out the door i don't think that's what we as a a consumer of of the product that's created really are looking for there's still something about college sports that is different from the nfl that's different from professional sports that 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 brings us in and keeps us as a fan of that. And I don't think that that's a scenario that we would really support as, as fans, as alumni of different universities and as supporters of those programs. Do you see the NFL as having a problem with paying college athletes? Would they want to keep the status quo? Do you see 
some sort of scenario to where the NFL looks and for whatever reason, they are not comfortable with the NCAA deciding that they're going to compensate college athletes for some reason? Well, right now the NFL has free minor league football. That's uh, yeah. That's the reason why I'm asking this question. I don't expect you to know the answer to it. I kind of want your opinion because I foresee the NFL having a problem with this. I can't quantify that statement, but I feel like the NFL does not want to change the free minor league football they're getting right now because the system that is in place, I feel is set up. I think it's, it's uh, don't get me wrong. Schools in the sec are making a killing off TV contracts and that sort of thing. Go down that road all day. So the power five schools with the, with the, especially like examples like the sec are making a killing off this. But I think the system is actually more set up in the favor of the NFL because, like you said, the NFL doesn't care and doesn't have to worry about does the starting quarterback on a college team, does that mean you've now got to pay the third and fourth string quarterback? Do you have to pay an eighth string tight end a base salary because you're paying the first string tight end a base salary? So I know I'm kind of going down a convoluted path here, but just in your opinion, do you feel that the NFL – would have a pro- not that I think they could do anything to stop it, but do you think the NFL would have a problem with this? I don't know that the NFL would have a problem with it. And and let's be honest, if if the rules change tomorrow and the NCAA said you've got to pay every single player, Alabama's going to find the money. Auburn, Georgia, Penn State, yeah. Ohio State, those programs are going to find the money to to continue to stay at the same level that they're at now. I mean, how many analysts can Nick Saban stack up in a closet in Tuscaloosa and just hoard away all these former head coaches? That's just what these big programs do and what they will continue to do. And I don't think the NFL cares one way or another what happens there as long as there is a steady supply of qualified job candidates standing there waiting, begging for a job with the NFL every single year. So the big one of the big stories or probably the big story that's going on right now with college athletes and compensation is the current FBI investigation looks like to be building a pretty serious case against multiple large uh, college basketball programs, shoe companies offering bribes to coaches for certain, you know, um, college basketball players to go to that program so that they then can turn around and offer them to a team. It's it's a it's a very complex program that is set up, and the, the FBI is is uh, knee deep into it. So this obviously brings up the talk of corruption within the schools and possibly the NCAA. Because how did the NCAA not see this going on, right? So do you think that paying college athletes, just on the face of it, would help reduce corruption at those levels? On a certain level, I think it. I think it could. You're still going to have the same bagman mentality that 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 major programs and minor programs have had sure. for years and years. Anybody trying to get an edge, it, it's a competitive market, and so you're still going to have some of that sort of thing going on. You've got it in the private sector. Sure, it's it's everywhere. It's just the way some people believe business has to be done in order to 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 get ahead. And okay, fine, but the NCAA would absolutely see it if they were actually looking for it. So I, I think uh, I think we're going to wrap it up there. The, the, the reason why I just wanted to run that by you is I, I just wanted to kind of see, Amos, your opinion on 
paying athletes kind of from a legal standpoint, you know, what, what you think of it. I, I didn't want to get too heavy into this just because you could go down so many different avenues sure. with it, but I do appreciate you sharing opinions. What I do want to rotate to now is something that you and I have attended and been to a couple of times. Zach has not. We I are, have not. We are talking about Bonnaroo. If Bonnaroo. You, if you have been living under a rock and somehow do not know what this music festival it is. It is a gigantic music festival that happens in Manchester, Tennessee, this time every year. It attracts eighty thousand fans, or at least. Well, they, well they at least tr- this year, this is the first year they sold out since what? Well, they have a they have a capacity of eighty thousand. Yeah. Eighty thousand ticketed. Eighty thousand tickets. Uh, maybe in the neighborhood of another thirty to forty thousand people point. that are volunteers and staff, and and that are actually helping put that thing together. So we've got one of the largest cities in the state of Tennessee for that weekend that pops up in Manchester. So with Bonnaroo, what if you're going for the first time and you've never been? What's what's kind of your base level advice to somebody who's like, "Fuck yes, I'm going to Bonnaroo for the first time." We're packing up the car. What do I need to take? What do I need to do? What do I need to camp in? Let's start there. All right. So the Bonnaroo folks would say the first thing you need to bring is good vibes. I have no idea what the hell that means. But what I do know (laughs) is that it's a bunch of people that are camping in an open field. That 80,000 people, the largest majority of that are camping in with no shade, with, with there's nowhere to hide. So they're putting up tents, they're in close quarters, and it's four days of music and food and being surrounded by people that don't get to shower. And after a very short period of time, you realize that no matter who you are, you're still using a porta toilet. And there's a sense of community that comes about uh, from that. So whatever you're... Uh, prejudices are towards anything. You, at some point, you just go, "Oh, well, we're all we're all peeing in the same plastic box in the heat, so I, I, maybe we should all chill and just get along." And so that's actually a pretty cool thing that happens. And you're there mostly because the music's fantastic, and you get to see a wide variety of things. So just relax, chill, go with it. Second big piece of advice: gold bond. All right. Yes. You're in absolutely. Tennessee in the summer. It is hot, man. It is it it, e- it easy recipe for swamp ass. Yes. Oh yes. Yes. So it's not enough for the gold bond powder. There's a stick, a solid like a, a deodorant stick that is so much more effective. So that's a pro tip. And by the way, is Gold Bond a sponsor of this show? No, but uh <laughs> Maybe they destroy and destroy them. We'll apologize yeah. later. <laughs> no, I th- I think it's a great product. It's something that's very helpful. So water, sunscreen, gold bond, and a good attitude. Gold bond. Lube that butthole for Bonnaroo. So no, it, and speaking of gold bond and with the stick, you're you're making a great point here. So without being completely disgusting, I want you to think about the difference of putting on a stick type item to reduce swamp ass and dumping powder down your pants and what the powder might turn into after a few hours. So just kind of think of that along those lines because I'd rather not bring that visual. Yeah, it's pretty disgusting, but I can't emphasize enough like you're talking about with the water. Now, people are going to do what they do. People make an entire event about smuggling drugs and alcohol into this thing. I can't suggest enough getting a camelback and straight up just drinking water all day. Now, the second the sun goes down, get weird. 
because it's cool. Obviously, it's cooler at night, it's a summer night. The, the music goes on all fucking night. So you're going to have a good time. But during the day, dude, just enjoy walking around and being in the people while you're drinking water. Maybe a beer or two, but don't get weird with it. Because like right. you said, even in the camp area, unless you're fortunate enough to bring a large camper or a tour bus out there, you're not going to have access to any kind of shade out in the camp area. You have to go back inside of Bonnaroo to find any kind of shade. The entire camp area is without a tree for what feels like miles. So, so it does, really is. Does the music actually go on? It all, stops uh, every hour. It, it stops I mean, at like what four a.m. for till about nine a.m. or That's ten it? a.m. Just five hours it of like never. It's stops. like a Guantanamo Bay kind of feeling. It feels like <laughs> I I, I mean, it's just music. My campground was right behind the stage where Skrillex played in 2012, and I felt like I was being punished for the entire night, and that went until after dawn. My God. So they do. There is a stopping point in the morning for a few hours, if nothing else, just so that the staff can kind of get the place back together. And but they don't ever allow like you can stay inside the gates of the damn place 24 seconds. You can, and the and food is available twenty four hours yeah. a day. There good is good food. There, yes. Oh, is it really? No, Spi- it's, it's spicy not bullshit pie. food. It's it's anything you could possibly imagine: roasted chickens, turkey legs, nachos, tacos. I mean, it's it's every kind of possible food you want. Amish donuts. Amish donuts. <laughs> oh my doing. god! There's this the place. Amish are there. They make great donuts. But they're, I mean, like it takes this is them a not few at weeks their alley, of, right? Well, they're called Amish donuts. I don't think they're made by the Amish. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's like canned biscuits with a whole cut out of the center. But no, but it's uh, I mean, that's basically <laughs> all it is. But like, there is there's a vendor that's been there every year that I love, and it's waffle ice cream. So it's it's literally a cooked waffle, and they'll put ice cream on it. And last year they had like they were putting scrambled eggs and bacon and stuff on them. So you, it was you were taking an entire waffle, folding it in half, and eating like a breakfast sandwich that way. Is fantastic. Now, there's this weird-ass part of the campground. Is it called the Grove? The place with all the trees? There's always shit happening. I've never been in there. It looks like shit going on in there that I want to be a part of, but also do not at the same time. Okay, so here's one of the big changes in in Bonnaroo. I don't work for Bonnaroo. I just think it's a really cool event, and it has changed a little bit. Live Nation came in. They now have a controlling stake. They're now running the show, really, as as far as how things are set up. So one of the things that they did was uh, when you're camping, you're separated into different pods, just mainly so you can look at a sign and go, oh, well, I'm in pod eight, whatever that is. Uh, But what they've started doing is building stages and different events and social things back in the camp area. And maybe that's to draw folks out of what they call Centeru, which is where all the main stages are, and get them back out towards the campground, a chance of getting some sleep. Maybe people will will, uh, handle themselves a little bit better. Yeah. In a way. So, But there are great concerts. There are legit bands uh, Haley Williams of Paramore is uh has done the programming and put together uh, uh one of the the entertainment areas with the pods and so they've invited these uh, musicians from major bands to come in and put this stuff together and so it's it's not just we're going to go to a concert we're going to drink a few beers and then we're going to go back home it is an immersive experience if uh, like right now there are people that have already set up camp there were people waiting in line for hours and hours and hours today to get to the campground to get the best campground spot because that's where the party begins and ends. And the campgrounds are open until noon on Monday. You have to be out by noon on Monday. But for four and a half or five days every year, there's this huge community. And there are people that became great friends through 
through the music or some crazy experience that they had while they were at the festival. And they live thousands of miles apart, but they come together every single year for this thing. And they're united in a love for music. And it and it's changed. When I first started going, it was more, um, you know, maybe a little bit more jam band oriented. Now there's a lot more EDM. That was relegated to late night sets. Now there's an EDM stage, at least one that runs all through the day. And I got to tell you, it's a little odd to see people that are dressed and ready to go for an EDM show at two o'clock on a Thursday. Let me ask you this. Can you just go to the campground and have an RV and everything and enjoy music or do you have to go to the stages? You, you Well, uh, to answer your question, honestly, no. Can you hear the music? Yes, but you're so far away from the stages that make enough noise to be able to hear it to where it's mostly just bass. So the example I give, like what <laughs> what Amos was just saying about Skrillex, a couple of years ago when I w- went, the best show I saw was Major Laser. Matter of fact, it was so much, I had to leave in the middle of the show, go back to the campground, and the bass was blasting my chest cavity. And I could hear it going on, but it was too muffled to like kind of understand. It was enough to keep my ass awake, but you can't really do that. But I, I, I tell you, I have seen quite a few people to where the older generation will rent a gigantic RV or even tour bus and they'll kind of just hang out in the tour bus the whole time and enjoy the vibe inside the campground. Like what Amos was talking about, because even though there's not, you can't really hear the music from the festival itself. Last year, there was this gigantic converted school bus that was driving around very, very slowly with a fold-out stage on the side of it with roving music around it. So, yeah, there I can tell there are a few people, not quite a few, but there are a few people who do just come and hang out in expensive RVs and things like that in the campground. Yeah, they absolutely do. And and I think that leads maybe to my biggest piece of advice. If, if somebody's looking to go to Bonnaroo, you need to know up front. Make your schedule. Make your list of, I absolutely will not miss this show. And then yes. there's the next tier of, I will do whatever I can to go see this. And outside of that, you cannot see it all. You're going to have conflicts on you know multiple bands you want to see on different stages at the same time. And you'll just wear yourself out because it's hot and, and it's a lot of people and there's, it, it will wear you down and you'll, you'll, everything will start to run together. You won't be able to find any enjoyment from one show to the next. If you don't take a little time to chill and just enjoy and, being where you are. And there's also really cool shit inside the fairgrounds themselves that well, main grounds, I guess that really blew my mind. And I didn't expect to see, they built an entire beach um, two years ago. And it was this, I mean, I'm talking about like a hundred yard by a hundred yard sandbox with palm trees and all this kind of stuff with hammocks and chairs to lay around in and all this kind of stuff. And we laid there for two or three hours, just a big group of people. The one of the main stages is right behind us. So we were like, you were saying it was an EDM set at yep. four 30 in the afternoon That's over by the Calliope stage. Yeah. Was that where they had the giant water slide and slip and yes. slide set up? Yeah. I love that place. So, yeah, no, it was a blast. We sat over there, chilled out. They kind of had some sprayers going. There was some shade over there at that point because the tree line was right behind us and the sun was starting to get low enough. It was in the tree line. So there there are places just to go chill out multiple times during the day, which you take advantage of. And I think the biggest thing is if, if you've got bands you want to see, sure, write them down, but definitely just go find a random stage and go hear somebody. And just, I found some really, really cool bands just doing that, just going and laying in the field and listening to some cool stuff. But if you're trying to get to the, what's the main stage called? 
the who stage or the what stage or something? It's called the what stage. And by the way, uh, it, it, if you've been to Bonnaroo many, many times, you probably still don't know what the hell to call those stages because there's this this tent, yeah, there's this, that, that tent, who, what, which stage, what stage, uh, yeah, which stage, what stage. I can't keep them all straight. I don't know why they name them that. Because why? <laughs> why I know. Listen, them that? the majority of the people out there are high out of their fucking minds. I don't know why they're so naming where, them this. So where's Skrill explain? Oh, what stage? What stage? Who? Who? Huh? Huh? Exactly. And so you do that and everybody thinks it's great fun until you can't find any of your no, friends. No, it's yeah. not. Yeah, seriously. You're where are you? I'm at what stage? You're at what stage? Seriously, it just, just starts going that way. A lot of Abbott and Costello fans in the uh, but the, naming process. But the large, like the main stage where the big axe play is the only one that you can't really just show up and, and expect to get a good seat. Like if you want to see the main act, you got to get there early. You got to watch whatever band it is before and kind of fight your way to the place you want to be. People wait in line all day yeah. to be in the pit for the main headliner for yeah. the night. Just just real quick, Lebowski, what's your favorite show that you've seen? Uh, by far, it was Major Lazer. Was it really? Yes, Major because it was so much fun. And I'll tell you, the I'll go ahead and tell you the worst show I saw there. Yeah, you too. It question. was flat garbage. They went out on stage and basically pressed play on a laptop and held hands. It was a joke. Amos, <laughs> now you're going this year. I am. So are I you going? Uh, maybe. We'll see. <laughs> All right. I have I have a fiance to answer to, so you know, and and a Huxley, so that's very important. That's strong. I but you've been many years. I have. I want to hear worst, best, and who you're looking forward to this year. Wow. Okay, so it's hard to name a best because you have to start breaking it down into different categories. What was the best small stage show you've ever seen? What was the best major stage? Let, let me interrupt you. You don't have to break it down like that, Amos. I know you're a lawyer. <laughs> no, I do. I, I'm I'm a just a huge music fan, and so I don't want to. I don't want to shortchange any act. Like I saw Gary Clark Jr., who's an amazing singer and guitar player. I saw him play a tiny stage uh, on like Saturday, and on Sunday he played the major. Uh, the main stage right after the Beach Boys and blew it away. It was an amazing show and it was a lot of people that had never heard him before. And that's one of the fun things about Bonnaroo is that there are all these great bands and they've always been known for bringing in the absolute best band at whatever it was they did. If it was a super specific subgenre of, of music, that would be the top band in that. So, you know, that's been really fun. But last year there was, uh, on Sunday, it was a, an incredible run. It was St. Paul and the Broken Bones um, in one of the tents that had the entire room just rocking. And I had to leave just before that finished to get over because Moon Taxi was playing at sunset on one of the uh, on the witch stage. It's got a question mark that rotates around, so I think that's the so witch stage. So not a monster witch, like a witch like a, witch. like a witch right. witch. Like a witch witch. Sure, let's go with that. If they gave out free sandwiches at the gate, that'd be awesome they should they should they should so you go from st paul and the broken bones which is this incredible alabama uh based soul and funk band to moon taxi which is uh nashville based rock band which was you know 10 foot beach balls being bounced around uh at sunset it was a really fun show a lot of high energy really cool stuff and then right after that, there's this small little Miller Lite stage where they like so small that they're beanbag chairs and things pulled up. And a group out of Texas called the Texas Gentlemen. And they're studio and session musicians. And there were maybe 50 people there when it started. And there were 500 to 1,000 when they finished. Damn. And they 
blew it out of the water and watching as you turn around and I knew the band I'd seen them before and I, I turned around and, and it was amazing to see how many people that were just walking by and went holy shit that's a band so those kind of moments those sort of things are are really fun now the flip side of that was uh radiohead in maybe 2012 foster the people was huge at that time they'd finished playing one of the the other stages and when foster the people crowd started heading over to radiohead they collapsed all the the metal barricades that were separating vip and the like the high roller sections and uh, I don't think Radiohead ever really recovered from an energy standpoint. It it was a little disappointing. I love Radiohead. Maybe it's because Radiohead is a better headphones band than a live band. I don't know. But that was one of the shows that that it just didn't really didn't really resonate. Looking forward to this year. Did did you answer that? Did I miss that? I mean, I think I think you could say he's looking forward to it. No, no, like what what acts. I mean, you're going Friday, Saturday, Sunday. What's the one band you have to see this weekend? Yeah, um, I think Casey Musgraves is doing some really cool yeah. stuff. I love, yeah. I love me some Casey Musgraves. Hey, Casey's playing a sunset show on Saturday. That's going to be great. And and uh, Rustin Kelly is playing earlier that day. Uh, I think Brandy Carlisle is also. As we're talking about Nashville-based musicians, and I, I'm not a big commercial country fan. That's not my thing. But I think those those are artists that just make great music. Yes, right. And they're going to get a chance to sh- really showcase that to what I hope is a really receptive crowd. Casey Musgraves makes fantastic mu- music, and I hate country music. I am not a country music guy. I love Casey Musgraves. She did what Five Nights of the Ryman sold it yeah. out. I got to go. Uh, for one of those nights, and it was one of the coolest shows I've ever seen. And so, Casey getting a chance to do that at the farm again and do it in that time slot on one of the big stages, I think that's going to be great. Well, there it is, assholes. Bonnaroo. Yeah, broke assholes. Yeah, efforts. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back and wrap this bitch up. All right, that was fun. It was two minutes of meowing. It was very strange. So, where are you going, Amos? Taking yeah. your headphones off? No, Amos. You just done? <laughs> That's not how you're podcasting not works. You're not done. You're not done because I've got a special segment for you. That's why I took on. So I, it, it looks like you don't have a website. Is that correct? Doesn't have a website. Doesn't correct. have a website. Do, do you even have a Mailey Law Twitter or anything? I do. You do? Yeah. Twitter. And it's specifically for the business? Or correct. Or is it for you? No, it's, it's for the business. Okay. Do you advertise? No. Why not? I've never advertised. I mean, I'm always hearing bullshit like Morgan and Morgan on the radio. Come on, man. Okay, well, that's great. Morgan & Morgan needs to advertise because they oh. operate on volume. <laughs> they have a different business model than I do, and, and they, they do different types of things than I do. Well, listen, I have written you a radio ad, and I'm going <laughs> to read it to you. Wait. I'm going <laughs> to read it to you right now because I want to give you some inspiration of what it could sound like if you would go ahead and advertise locally. You could sponsor with us. Area. I mean, you could sponsor with us, and based on this ad, that I'm, I'm really, hoping, uh, really hoping you want to come on board. So you ready it, for this? Please. Zach, give me some music. You're late to see your therapist. You're in a hurry. You've had a couple of martinis at lunch. Then something or someone gets in your way. What do you do? Leave the scene? Head for the border? Not with Amos Mailey PLLC. Now you don't have to worry. Call one of our attorneys immediately and we will deal with the law and silence any victims before any kind of uncomfortable litigation can happen. We'll deal with a DUI, accidental firearm discharge, or narcotics violations. Amos Maley, PLLC, because freedom equals peace of mind. Wow. There's so much Thoughts. to unpack. 
there's so much going Surely on. Surely there can't be any problem with that, right? I definitely didn't talk about witness intimidation or covering up crimes. I, I think you did say something about silencing victims. Oh, I'm sorry. Let me read that part again. We'll deal with the law and silence any victims before any uncomfortable litigation can happen. I, Thank you I, for cueing the music back up for that. I have one note. Mm-hmm. It's alleged victims. Allegedly. So, are, are you, I mean, you know, what do you think? You think this is something you could do on the radio? Well, I mean, the I, allegations are disturbing. So, here's my job. My job is to make sure that none of that is ever necessary. So, are you kind of like a sweep them under the rug kind of lawyer or just prevent it from happening in the first place? There, there's some preventative uh, maintenance work that has to go on there, but a lot of it is, uh, hey, I think I have a problem. Will you figure out if I do have a problem and then fix it? That's a great point because you're in luck. I have a second ad for you. Can you cue up the music oh, for me again? Good. Do you good. want this music or the millennial I, I, music? I like, I like the music you had. You're partying with some friends. After three days of snorting Molly and swapping partners, a man's got to get some shut-eye. Maybe you left the gas oven on, fell asleep with a cigarette in your mouth. Next thing you know, boom, you're homeless and wanted for manslaughter. Now, you need to call the law offices of Amos Maley, PLLC. Call one of our lawyers today and we'll deal with the law and forensics and get rid of, you know, that pesky evidence and unwanted allegations. You've just lost a home and some close friends. Why? You don't want to lose your freedom. Call Amos Maley today, PLLC, because freedom equals peace of mind. I mean, I like the, I like the very end. That's great. Can, can, but what, what, what did the end say again? Amy, Amos freedom, Maley. Freedom equals peace of mind. Oh, Amos Maley, PLLC, which I just threw that in there. I don't even know if that's what you add to the end of a, of, of a you know law office, but I just it sounded good. I, so. I, I like where you're going with that. Yeah, that's, I like it. That's good. I mean, freedom uh, isn't free. I don't know why the gas oven would be open. Uh, Three days of snorting Molly and swapping partners. So the gas oven has come on at some point. Do you snort Molly? I I have no idea. I'm assuming. (laughs) I don't know. There's so many things to do with so many drugs. I just put snort in the word Molly and I assumed it went together. Okay. So uh, I come into a situation like that. um, I'm I'm probably not going to ask how do you ingest I, I'm going to hear uh, manslaughter, narcotics, negligence, uh, and hopefully homeowner's insurance policy. Because <laughs> you've lost a home and some good friends. <laughs> and now you're wanted for manslaughter. There are a lot of things to unpack. Like I said, there are a lot of issues to solve. I do absolutely none of that. I mean, this sounds like a 1970s German car key party. <laughs> <laughs> snorting molly and swapping partners sounds like people just came in and dropped their keys off and that was the end of that they should have so i, I just you know listen think it out if you want to if you want to advertise with me I, i'm more than happy to keep making up ads like this that are probably going to get you disbarred within the first 48 hours of these airing you know on the local radio well if any of these were advertisements i can tell you that uh one or all of us seated at this table right now would get a call from the tennessee board of professional responsibility and we'd have some conversations about legal <laughs> advertising ethics and that's where but, i and that's where i need to we'd have really killer music. yes you would would uh we'll talk about rights clearances later and i do do want to hey this is this is uh royalty free music so i do want to use you need it later let me know i'll email it to you i want to use this music you know to at least lay out this disclaimer none of these ads are real we are not sitting here and representing amos's law firm in this light these are pure jokes to even take it one step further if any of the 
eagle-eared. Is that a statement? Because I'm just going to throw it out there. Like Let's that's, go with that. Yeah, that eagle-eared works. listeners yeah. think that these ads sound familiar. I ripped them word for word from Grand Theft Auto 4. If you have never played <laughs> Grand Theft Auto 4, the radio stations in Grand Theft Auto 4 are literally worth buying the game, putting your character in a car, and just turning the radio on. It is some of the funniest shit you'll ever hear in your life. I like it. Yeah. Like so it. that's going to wrap us up. Amos, really appreciate you joining. Do you have something you want to pimp out? Um. Uh, I think you guys are doing a great job with this podcast. I want you to be as successful as you can be because I want to be your lawyer. <laughs> I mean, after, you know, snorting Molly and swapping partners, a man's got to get some shut eye. So, uh, listen, you have a Twitter. Do you want to put your Twitter out there? No. Okay. I, 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 I like that. That's, uh, you know, that that's bold. Uh, that's going to do it for us. Effers. We want you to subscribe to our podcast, Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, whatever the fuck you want to listen to. But please rate, review, give us a comment something right and do us a favor if you like the podcast at least tell one of your buddies about it it helps us immensely uh you can follow us on twitter at f pod for zach lyons the absent michael herndon i am mr lebowski and you have just been out. you've just been f allegedly allegedly and boom you're homeless and one of your manslaughter